The Free For All Roundtable. Round two. Oh, and shout out, you know whose birthday it is today? Bob Barker's. I should say, how old do you think he is? And we can play the yodeling. No, he's 99. Uh, he's one of those cool old people, though. Here are our panelists on this particular roundtable. Robert Benzi is the Queen's Park Bureau Chief for the Toronto Star. Richard Krause is host of the podcast Last Call with Richard Krause. And Sunira Chaudhry is here as well. Uh, she is a lawyer at the firm of Workley Law. I'm just scrolling here to get to my topics so we can get this fun thing going. Um, Jagmeet Singh was on a short while ago. I don't know who amongst you had a chance to listen in. Uh, you all know the thrust of what he is saying. Uh, I keep trying to think of a good analogy because it's kind of like a marriage. So is this just when somebody says we don't laugh together anymore? What? Where did our relationship <laughs> go wrong? Um, but Richard Krauss, Jagmeet Singh says if he doesn't get some solutions for the health care sector, then he's going to walk out, walk out that door. Don't come back. I am no glad more. that I'm glad that he's making a stand here, that he's uh, kind of putting his foot down, although I think that this is um, political posturing in the same kind of way uh, that parents scold their kids. Um, you know, I'll send you to your room if you don't finish your Brussels sprouts. I think it's that kind of threat. I think that ultimately it's kind of empty. He wants what's best. And I think that you know, by doing this, he'll hopefully uh, get the get the the process moving towards fixing some badly broken healthcare aspects of healthcare that we have in this country. Uh, but I don't think for a minute that we're headed for a divorce here. See, Robert Benzie, I would turn that analogy upside down and say it's like kids who say, "I'm going to run away." It's like, fine, go ahead, do it. Well, exactly, uh, and and you know, I agree with Richard. I, I mean. All you have to do, John, is look at last night's by-election in Mississauga Lakeshore. You know, typical Ontario riding. The Liberals win most ridings in Ontario, and they won last night. They got a bigger share of the vote uh, than they did a year ago in the general election. They got 52% last night. They got 44 uh, last year. And the Tories stayed the same, but the NDP cut in half. They went to 4.9% from 9.8%. So what does that tell you? It tells you that uh, Pierre Polyev is probably a pretty scary character in, in, the, in the liberal narrative, and they can drive some uh, NDP votes back to the, uh, to, over to the liberals in a general election. So there's not going to be a general election. So it's an empty threat, Richard's right. Sunira, I would say that when I challenged Jagmeet Singh and I said, fine, what can the feds do? He came up with a shopping list of things that the feds could do, and it wasn't just about, <laughs> wasn't just about the money. Is Sunira there? Oh, hold on a second. Somebody's got to hit a button. We've got to, this is, it's like one of those children's shows where we have to take the lid off the box. Okay. <laughs> have you uh, been able to click on this or are we scenario-less for now? Guys? I'm back. Oh, there we go. Yay. All right. Were, were you able to hear my setup? No, I'm sorry. I don't know what happened there. I'm sorry. No worries. I, I was just offering that when... I asked Jagmeet Singh, so what could they do? Because it's easy when you're in opposition to complain about everything. It's a lot harder to actually advance policy. And he came up with a list of about a half dozen things that the federal government would be capable of. And it wasn't just about spending more money. Yeah, well, I think doing here is exactly what I mean, he should be doing. Just personally, John, like, I have a one year old, he's in preschool, he's in in the toddler room there. And I know, you know, children I have been hospitalized for RSV. Um, I know one child who's been hospitalized three times in the last three months. So Jagmeet Singh, at least shedding light on this, 
Um, especially when it's so hard to get children's medication, you know, just two weeks ago, I paid $50 to get two bottles of children's Tylenol um, for my one-year-old. And I know a lot of parents are in the same situation, him at least shedding light on this. And, and as you said, there are solutions that don't just involve spending more money. This is absolutely what he should be doing. And I think a lot of parents are on his side. I got the paperwork yesterday. Maybe you did too in the mail. Uh, and for once the dog didn't eat it. Uh, that tells me I have to go online soon and signal that I actually live in my home, that it's not vacant. And Robert Benzie, I guess this is where the rubber hits the road. I support the policy. I hate the idea of the paperwork. Yeah, I mean, another another layer of, of bureaucracy. But I think, look, we need, I mean, a vacancy tax is a good idea, John. We, we I have houses in my neighborhoods that are clearly investment properties that have been sitting empty. And it's, it's, not, it's not good at a time of a housing crisis. I mean, all, of, all we've been talking about at Queen's Park for the last few months is the housing crisis and, the, and how the Tories want to build 1.5 million new homes in the next decade in this province. If we have homes on Toronto streets sitting empty right now, uh, there should be a tax on them for, for being vacant. But yeah, I'm, I'm not crazy about filling out more forms. Uh, Richard Krause, a lot of people, including Jerry Agar, will argue it's my house, my home, my condo, mm-hmm. whatever, I can do whatever I want. But there is an aspect to taking something out of the housing mix that is damaging to the greater society. That's why we have this tax. Absolutely. Uh, I agree 100%. I think if you go to uh, a number of the world's big cities, I was in London a while ago and took a walk through Mayfair after about eight o'clock at night. It's dark, it's beautiful, and there wasn't a light on in any of the houses or apartments. It was as though uh, something terrible had happened and, you know, there was just no life there at all. And this is a vibrant part of the city uh, that is completely uh, foreign-owned uh, people spend very little time in these houses and apartments uh, that are there. And as you walk through, it feels dead. There's a dead zone in the city. And there's a number of those uh, in London. We're getting it more and more here. Uh, New York City has it. Uh, there are uh it, it, to me, it's it, crucial if you're going to have a vibrant city that you have to have people living in it. You have to have people using the city, shopping in the stores, picking up groceries, all that kind of stuff. But they have to be there. If these places are going to sit empty, uh, you know, for months and or years at a time, it sucks the life out of the city. Yeah, Sonero, the situation Richard is describing from London, I saw in a documentary about Vancouver. And on one city block, there were probably 20 houses. And only about three of them were occupied. The other ones were being banked by people from Russia and China. You know, I don't think we have that issue in Toronto as it stands. Maybe we do, but I, I just, I totally disagree. And normally I agree with these guys. Um, Today, I think this is big brother. I think the city of Toronto has imposed a lot on um, people who uh, own any kind of property in the city. As an example, it's really difficult to um, do any kind of short-term rentals. I mean, if if this was a, a concern, if this was a concern about getting the city more vibrant and getting more people into restaurants, well, maybe be a bit more lax about uh, allowing for things like short-term rentals. But to require, as an example, that you have to fill out a form every year, otherwise you're going to pay potentially a fine. If you have a million-dollar home, you're going to be a 10000 
$1,000 fine if your house is sitting vacant. It might be sitting vacant because you're traveling um, or you, you, know, you, you might have a family member you're going to visit as an example. I just think this is a huge tax that needs a lot of consideration before it's pushed through. Uh, Richard Krause, no more drink garnishes if you fly on the Canadian <laughs> government ticket. I don't expect everybody to eat that cold camembert and broken crackers, but at the same time, I can't <laughs> wrap my head around $1,000 that was spent on limes and, uh, and lemons for one flight. Yeah, I don't get that either. So I've just done some quick math here. And uh, for the entire trip, they spent about $100,000 on food for 29 people. Uh, and I just did some math figuring that each of the entrees, let's say they were $25, let's say, you you know, breakfast, lunch and, and dinner. Uh, and I came up with $15,000. A little over fifteen thousand dollars. Where did the other eighty-five, you know, come from? A thousand dollars come from? It, it confuses me, and partially, uh, this food is supplied by the vendors at the airport, and they can charge whatever they want. And anyone who's ever eaten in an airport knows that, you know, a, a, a hamburger that costs you ten bucks downtown costs you fifteen or sixteen or seventeen at the airport. But this is inflated in a way that I can't even wrap my head around, especially the lemons and thing. I just do not understand that at all. That is a lot of citrus. Yeah, Sonera, <laughs> it just strikes me that, you know, in terms of procurement, this is probably a case where they hire a caterer, give them exclusive access for like five years, and then stop paying attention to the bills. Yeah, well, John, you know, I'm I'm a member, I'm a board member of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, and Canadian pa Taxpayers Federation, they stuck with this story. Uh, this is one where we had, you know, six high-ranking public servants saying they didn't have detailed receipts, um, and the CTF stuck with it, uh, with a Freedom of Information request, they got the details. Nope. why this is back in the news again because these six members have been asked to come back and speak to why they never provided the transparency in the first place why they didn't provide the receipts and this is a great story because we can all relate to how much things cost just as uh, richard just pointed out we all know how much a meal on a plane should cost if you happen to get a meal on a plane it shouldn't be anywhere close to this okay and robert benzie i don't want to uh you know, cold cocky on this one, but I was just curious. I was thinking about government eating, and there is still, I think, a dining hall at Queen's Park. Does it pay for itself? Uh, it's it's it long ago it was privatized, actually under the Harris government. Um, so it's not the subsidized uh, $6 steak dinner that you used to see. I remember being on Parliament Hill as a young reporter, and I couldn't believe the dining room there how how inexpensive it was because it was subsidized but the one at queen's park uh it's called in camera the 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 uh, restaurant is it charges normal prices because it's a uh, it's it's catered by a private company so they can't they, it's not they're not, it's not subsidized lose. by the taxpayer no yeah. no thank you everybody good to have you sanira chaudhry robert benzie richard kraus don't forget that on thursday it's our day of giving but you can start giving right now if you want to you can go to newstalk1010.com and become a monthly donor to the hospital for sick kids and if you do then every month you make a small donation and somebody triples that donation for you so i love putting somebody else on the hook for something like that and that's a very generous offer and it just allows you to maximize your donation that's on thursday right now i'm at a racetrack but that's okay mark tui is in for jerry agar from nine to noon right here on news talk 1010